Section 11 of Three Essays on Religion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Three Essays on Religion by John Stuart Mill. Argument from the General Consent of Mankind. Before proceeding to the argument from Marks of Design, which, as it seems to me, must always be the main strength of natural theism, we may dispose briefly of some other arguments which are of little scientific weight, but which have greater influence on the human mind than much better arguments, because they are appeals to authority, and it is by authority that the opinions of the bulk of mankind are principally and not unnaturally governed. The authority invoked is that of mankind generally, and specially of some of its wisest men, particularly such as were in other respects conspicuous examples of breaking loose from received prejudices. Socrates and Plato, Bacon, Locke, and Newton, Descartes and Leibniz are common examples. It may doubtless be good advice to persons who in point of knowledge and cultivation are not entitled to think themselves competent judges of difficult questions, and bid them content themselves with holding that true which mankind generally believe, and so long as they believe it, or that which has been believed by those who pass for the most eminent among the minds of the past. But to a thinker, the argument from other people's opinions has little weight. It is but second-hand evidence, and merely admonishes us to look out for and weigh the reasons on which this conviction of mankind, or of wise men, was founded. Accordingly, those who make any claim to philosophical treatment of the subject employ this general consent chiefly as evidence that there is in the mind of man an intuitive perception, or an instinctive sense of deity. From the generality of the belief, they infer that it is inherent in our constitution, from which they draw the conclusion, a precarious one indeed, but comfortable to the general mode of proceeding of the intuitive philosophy, that the belief must be true. Though as applied to theism, this argument begs the question, since it has itself nothing to rest upon but the belief that the human mind was made by a god who would not deceive his creatures but indeed what ground does the general prevalence of the belief in deity afford us for inferring that this belief is native to the human mind and independent of evidence is it then so very devoid of evidence even apparent has it so little semblance of foundation in fact that it can only be accounted for by the supposition of its being innate we should not expect to find theists believing that the appearances in nature of a contriving intelligence are not only insufficient but are not even plausible and cannot be supposed to have carried conviction either to the general or to the wiser mind if there are external evidences of theism, even if not perfectly conclusive, why need we suppose that the belief of its truth was the result of anything else? The superior mind to whom an appeal is made, 
from Socrates downwards, when they professed to give the grounds of their opinion, did not say that they found the belief in themselves without knowing from whence it came, but ascribed it, if not to revelation, either to some metaphysical argument, or to those very external evidences which are the basis of the argument from design. If it be said that the belief in deity is universal among barbarous tribes, and among the ignorant portion of civilized populations, who cannot be supposed to have been impressed by the marvelous adaptations of nature, most of which are unknown to them, I answer that the ignorant in civilized countries take their opinions from the educated, and that in the case of savages, if the evidence is insufficient, so is the belief. The religious belief of savages is not belief in the god of natural theology but a mere modification of the crude generalization which ascribes life consciousness and will to all natural powers of which they cannot perceive the source or control the operation and the divinities believed in are as numerous as those powers each river fountain or tree has a divinity of its own to see in this blunder of primitive ignorance the hand of a supreme being implanting in his creatures an instinctive knowledge of his existence is a poor compliment to the deity the religion of savages is fetishism of the grossest kind ascribing animation and will to individual objects and seeking to propitiate them by prayer and sacrifice that this should be the case is the less surprising when we remember that there is not a definite boundary line broadly separating the conscious human being from inanimate objects between these and man there is an intermediate class of objects sometimes much more powerful than man which do possess life and will these the brute animals which in an early stage of existence play a very great part in human life making it the less surprising that the line should not at first be quite distinguishable between the animate and the inanimate part of nature. As observation advances, it is perceived that the majority of outward objects have all their important qualities in common with entire classes or groups of objects which comport themselves exactly alike in the same circumstances. And in these cases, the worship of visible objects is exchanged for that of an invisible being, supposed to preside over the whole class. This step in generalization is slowly made, with hesitation and even terror, as we still see in the case of ignorant populations with what difficulty experience disabuses them of belief in the supernatural powers and terrible resentment of a particular idol chiefly by these terrors the religious impressions of barbarians are kept alive with only slight modifications until the theism of cultivated minds is ready to take their place and the theism of cultivated minds if we take their own word for it is always a conclusion either from arguments called rational or from the appearances in nature 
it is needless here to dwell upon the difficulty of the hypothesis of a natural belief not common to all human beings an instinct not universal it is conceivable doubtless that some men might be born without a particular natural faculty as some are born without a particular sense but when this is the case we ought to be much more particular as to the proof that it really is a natural faculty if it were not a matter of observation but of speculation that men can see if they had no apparent organ of sight and no perceptions or knowledge but such as they might conceivably have acquired by some circuitous process through their other senses the fact that men exist who do not even suppose themselves to see would be a considerable argument against the theory of a visual sense but it would carry us too far to press for the purposes of this discussion an argument which applies so largely to the whole of the intuitional philosophy the strongest intuitionist will not maintain that a belief should be held for instinctive when evidence real or apparent sufficient to engender it is universally admitted to exist to the force of the evidence must be in this case added all the emotional or moral causes which incline men to the belief the satisfaction which it gives to the obstinate questionings with which men torment themselves respecting the past the hopes which it opens for the future the fears also since fear as well as hope predisposes to belief and to these in the case of the more active spirits must always have been added a perception of the power which belief in the supernatural affords for governing mankind either for their own good or for the selfish purposes of the governors the general consent of mankind does not therefore afford ground for admitting even as an hypothesis the origin in an inherent law of the human mind of a fact otherwise so more than sufficiently so amply accounted for the argument from consciousness there have been numerous arguments indeed almost every religious metaphysician has one of his own to prove the existence and attributes of god from what are called truths of reason supposed to be independent of experience descartes who is the real founder of the intuitional metaphysics draws the conclusion immediately from the first premise of his philosophy the celebrated assumption that whatever he could very clearly and distinctly apprehend must be true the idea of a god perfect in power wisdom and goodness is a clear and distinct idea and must therefore on this principle correspond to a real object this bold generalization however that a conception of the human mind proves its own objective reality descartes is obliged to limit by the qualification quote, if the idea includes existence close quote. now the idea of god implying the union of all perfections and existence being a perfection the idea of god proves his existence this very simple argument 
which denies to man one of his most familiar and most precious attributes that of idealizing as it is called of constructing from the materials of experience a conception more perfect than experience itself affords is not likely to satisfy any one in the present day more elaborate though scarcely more successful efforts have been made by many of descartes's successors to derive knowledge of the deity from an inward light to make it a truth not dependent on external evidence a fact of direct perception or as they are accustomed to call it of consciousness the philosophical world is familiar with the attempt of cousin to make out that whenever we perceive a particular object we perceive along with it or are conscious of god and also with the celebrated refutation of this doctrine by sir william hamilton it would be a waste of time to examine any of these theories in detail while each has its own particular logical fallacies they labor under the common infirmity that one man cannot by proclaiming with ever so much confidence that he perceives an object convince other people that they see it too if indeed he laid claim to a divine faculty of vision vouchsafed to him alone and not making him cognizant of things which men not thus assisted have not the capacity to see the case might be different men have been able to get such claims admitted and other people can only require of them to show their credentials but when no claim is set up to any peculiar gift but we are told that all of us are as capable as the prophet of seeing what he sees feeling what he feels nay that we actually do so and when the utmost effort of which we are capable fails to make us aware of what we are told we perceive this supposed universal faculty of intuition is but the dark lantern of the spirit which none see by but those who bear it and the bearers may fairly be asked to consider whether it is not more likely that they are mistaken as to the origin of an impression in their minds than that others are ignorant of the very existence of an impression in theirs the inconclusiveness in a speculative point of view of all arguments from a subjective notion of deity to its objective reality was well seen by kant the most discriminating of the a priori metaphysicians who always kept the two questions the origin and composition of our ideas and the reality of the corresponding objects perfectly distinct according to kant the idea of the deity is native to the mind in the sense that it is constructed by the mind's own laws and not derived from without but his idea of speculative reason cannot be shown by any logical process or perceived by direct apprehension to have a corresponding reality outside the human mind to kant god is neither an object of direct consciousness nor a conclusion of reasoning but a necessary assumption necessary not by a logical but a practical necessity imposed by the reality of the moral law 
duty is a fact of consciousness thou shalt is a command issuing from the recesses of our being and not to be accounted for by any impressions derived from experience and this command requires a commander though it is not perfectly clear whether kant's meaning is that conviction of a law includes conviction of a law-giver or only that a being of whose will the law is an expression is eminently desirable if the former is intended the argument is founded on a double meaning of the word law a rule to which we feel it a duty to conform has in common with laws commonly so called the fact of claiming our obedience but it does not follow that the rule must originate like the laws of the land in the will of a legislator or legislators external to the mind we may even say that a feeling of obligation which is merely the result of a command is not what is meant by moral obligation which on the contrary supposes something that the internal conscious bears witness to as binding in its own nature and which god in superadding his command conforms to and perhaps declares but does not create conceding then for the sake of the argument that the moral sentiment is as purely of the mind's own growth the obligation of duty as entirely independent of experience and acquired impressions as kant or any other metaphysician ever contended it may yet be maintained that this feeling of obligation rather excludes than compels the belief in a divine legislator merely as the source of the obligation and as a matter of fact the obligation of duty is both theoretically acknowledged and practically felt in the fullest manner by many who have no positive belief in god though seldom probably without habitual and familiar reference to him as an ideal conception but if the existence of god as a wise and just lawgiver is not a necessary part of the feelings of morality it may still be maintained that those feelings make his existence eminently desirable no doubt they do and that is the great reason why we find that good men and women cling to the belief and are pained by its being questioned but surely it is not legitimate to assume that in the order of the universe whatever is desirable is true optimism even when a god is already believed in is a thorny doctrine to maintain and had to be taken by leibniz in the limited sense that the universe being made by a good being is the best universe possible not the best absolutely that the divine power in short was not equal to making it more free from imperfections than it is but optimism prior to belief in a god and as the ground of that belief seems one of the oldest of all speculative delusions nothing however i believe contributes more to keep up the belief in the general mind of humanity than this feeling of its desirableness which when clothed as it very often is in the forms of an argument is a naive expression of the tendency of the human mind 
to believe what is agreeable to it positive value the argument of course has none without dwelling further on these or on any other of the a priori arguments for theism we will no longer delay passing to the far more important argument of the appearances of contrivance in nature end of section eleven